Good afternoon everyone, my name is Jack Crouch, I'm a youth patron and vice chair of the Ambitious About Autism Youth Council. Um, it's my pleasure to be here today with, um, in Sunny Treehouse School. Um, alongside me are Laura James, who is the author of Odd Girl Out, and Jessie Hewitson, who is the author of Autism, How to Raise a Happy Autistic Child. And today's topic is I suppose fighting about also quite appropriately with two published authors in the room. So um, I just think um, to get us started, um, could you um, tell us a bit about yourselves and what got you into fighting and you know, why you found it was um, so exciting for your, you know, an exciting adventure for you to get involved with Jesse. I, well I'm a journalist, I write for the Times where I work part time. Um, so I've worked in journalism for 20 years, um, writing general features and started writing about autism when my son was diagnosed uh, six years ago. Um, I'm a journalist too, so um, I, and it's a career that can work really well for someone autistic because you can freelance, which means you can work at home in your pyjamas, which is quite nice. Um, and I started writing um, general features about food, fashion, interiors, um, stuff like that. And then I started writing books, um, and what would tend to happen is I would get a special interest, be that glamping or psychology or cooking, and I'd get so into it that I'd write a book about it, and um, which has been great. So it's been, yeah, it's been really lovely. Um, but Odd Girl Out was slightly different because obviously it's a very personal book, whereas everything else has been kind of about the world around us. So um, yeah, it has been exciting. Thank you. And could you tell me a bit more? I thought I should say as well, um, in case there's a bit of sound in the background, we also have Jesse's son, Morgan, in the yes. room as well. So, so if, there, if you do hear, um, someone now speaking or, uh, at any, any time then it, it is most likely Morgan so we have our extra guest here with us today as well so could you tell me a bit about the writing the books you have published recently and why you found it was worthwhile to put that into a book so to speak um, well I think when you're a writer when anything happens to you in life you've kind of one of the one of your thoughts is will I write about this and um, when I got my autism diagnosis quite late, sort of 45, I, one of my first thoughts was, how will I write about this? And so I waited a couple of months and I did a piece for the Telegraph and it just got such a huge response that I realised that there was a massive appetite for features written by autistic women because there really isn't that much out there. And then I, um, I, a couple of publishers approached me and asked whether I think, would think about doing a book. And I thought for a long time about it, because it's quite difficult to structure a book like that um, and have something for everyone in it. So, um, but then I, then I found my publisher, um, who are Bluebird, who um, do amazing books. And I just knew that I had to work with them. And for you, Jessie. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a newbie in the books world, so this is my first book, um, and the reason why I decided to write about it was out of frustration, because um, my son was diagnosed, and I was looking to the internet to inform myself, and just found horror story after horror story, and then looked at the books on the market, and they weren't really any better. 
I found them either written by academics and they tended to be quite dry, or I tended to find them they were often American mothers that had written sometimes detailing a sort of dubious cure, and there just wasn't anything that I could relate to, and I, I hated the covers, which were children really in distress or locked away, and I just felt that there weren't any books that were a bit more modern in their outlook. Well, there weren't any books that I'd encountered anyway. So, um, so that's why I decided to write, to write one. Fantastic, and that follows up with what is the process of writing for you, and what does that look like? In, and in one sense, are you a night owl or an early bird when you like to write during the day? I think for me, and a lot of writers, regardless of the neurotype, um, it goes like this. You come up with an idea, you get really excited about it, you tell everyone you're going to do it. You ring your agent, they get really excited about it, you get a publisher and you're really, really excited and then you kind of have to sit down and write it. And then it's suddenly terrifying and overwhelming and you have to go from this kind of blank page to a whole book. And then I tend to kind of freak out for a bit. And then I tend to think a lot and walk a lot and eat a lot of chocolate. And then slowly it kind of comes out. And then, and then one day, you know, you might get up and you might write and every word is just utterly perfect and it's just brilliant. And another day you might get up, write 2,000 words and they're just rubbish. And then you have to kind of keep sort of going. And then uh, once you have a first draft, it's then all about the edit, which um, I think is probably where... The, where possibly the most creative work takes place because it's taking what you've got and making it into something. Yeah, I mean, Laura's absolutely right in her assessment of writing. I mean, um, I guess this has been new for me because the writing I do for The Times is um, generally not, not about topics that, that are, you know, affect me personally. So this was um, a different experience and I had a sabbatical from, from work. And also it's a different experience for me to write about one topic and look into it in great detail which I absolutely loved, but it was also, it was the most amazing experience. It was intense, it was fascinating, and it was a bit, yeah, painful as well at the same time for wanting to, to do everything justice, I guess, or, um, and stressful, <laughs> um, and all of those things. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a load of emotions at the same time, isn't it? Yeah. And why do you feel the subject of autism in itself is of such interest to readers in both fiction and non-fiction categories? Because we're fascinating people. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that I think it's interesting for loads of reasons. I think you're writing fiction, then having somebody um, with autistic traits can add layers to a book, can kind of, can make it kind of a richer reading experience. I think that. Thing, I think you can make it visually beautiful. You know, if you have a character, for example, that likes lining things up, then you can write that really quite nicely. If you have a character who has difficulty in social situations, then most readers can, to some degree, relate to that. So I think that it, it can make a character very human. I mean, I decided to write about myself so um, and my own experiences, so it was, it was slightly different. But um, but I think that when you when you kind of when you write fiction, you build up a character in your head and you make them into a real person. And I think that you know there are a lot of very endearing things about autistic people that kind of take get a reader on board. Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this why people are so interested um, about the subject um, and autistic people, and I don't I don't absolutely have the answer, but but I do wonder if it's because people do feel that. They, they know 
something about it, but not the whole picture. I think they do have that instinct and they, they, there's a desire to learn more. And I also wonder if it's maybe about, um, it's interesting that people who look the same but perhaps think a bit differently or experience the world differently, I think that's part of um, what interests people is, like for example, I've got a different sensory experience to my son. Now, I still don't understand that and I've been trying to puzzle that out for five years now. So I find that I find that very interesting that we, you know, we're related and so close yet have this quite radically different experience of the world. And how have readers in general responded to the books um, which you have authored, and your opinion on that as well? Uh, my response has been extraordinary. I mean, really, I had I had no idea that there were so many um, people, women particularly, women and girls out there who felt so alone or, or who thought that they suspected they might be autistic but didn't really think that they fitted the stereotype. Um, so I've had a lot of people write to me say that saying that since reading my book they've gone on to get a diagnosis of autism but also I've had a lot of autistic women write to me to say that since reading it they've got a diagnosis of EDS which I found really um, brilliant and amazing but, and because I really want people to see that link and to realise it because if you go through life not knowing you're autistic then you know that that can have an impact obviously um, if you go through life without knowing you have EDS that can have a really serious physical impact like if you have to have an operation or you have a baby or something so I found that really rewarding that, that, that it's helped people see themselves I find really rewarding. Yeah, I've, I've had some lovely um, tweets and messages on Instagram and emails from parents, which has been really rewarding, and also parents that have really responded to the message of hope <laughs> that I, I hope that my book shares, so that's been lovely. Um, when I've written about um, autism for the newspaper, and I dare to go below the line, um, it's a different story, actually. <laughs> among readers sometimes you get very unenlightened views and it is a reminder that you know of what the views can be in a country yeah i agree never read the comments no. some of the comments are so ill-informed and so frightening yeah. yeah that people think like that but then mm. i think that people who are going to people who are going to bother to comment on the newspaper piece maybe have their own issues yeah that's true and could i just ask because you're both journalists in the room here today that's what's characterises the differences of being an author for a newspaper article from being an author of a book, would you say? Is, is there a difference in terms of how you write your writing style or how you approach the situation? And well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the two immediate differences are time. You know, when you're asked to turn a newspaper piece around, you generally don't have more than a week, and it might just be a day. Whereas with a book, you, you can kind of take as long as you like to write. I think you took four years, didn't you, from having the idea to having the book published, and I think I took 18 months. Um, so you have the luxury of time, and also the luxury of, of length. You know, a newspaper piece, you're probably not going to get more than 1,500 words, so you have to kind of cram a lot in. And generally, there tends to need to be a news hook for it, so it all has to be quite tight. Whereas with the book, you can go along different paths and kind of explore different areas, which which is quite good. Yeah, and in with newspaper pieces, it's it's on the whole, people don't write in the first person. I mean, the, the columnists do, and there's a few key feature writers, but you know, eighty five percent of the paper is third person, and and the idea is about seeing every point of view. Well, good journalism. I guess should be about that and not necessarily 
drawing a conclusion. So, um, and also, I mean, uh, my skill set is journalism and trying to describe something, uh, perhaps an event to someone who hasn't been to that event is um, as factually and responsibly as possible. Whereas the kind of creative writing that you see in Odd Girl Out um, is something I aspire to and I'm just not there yet. <laughs> And um, in what way do you think your books have made a difference to people when they have read them, and whether it might be in relation to their own thinking or in their own lives, or how do you feel you'd have liked to have made a difference when you wrote the book initially? Um, I think when I wrote it, uh, initially I wrote it because I needed to get it all out. If you could, you know, I kind of got to 45, didn't realise I was autistic, didn't realise I had EDS, had, had all of these things happen to me. I've had four children, had a career, got married twice, all of those things. I think I just needed to get kind of get it all out. And then as I started shaping it and letting the odd person read it, and then once it came out, I think that the real difference was that because because I've been writing for such a long time and because of being a journalist I was able to describe things quite accurately that other people could then relate to either in terms of their own experience or an experience of a family member lots of people say that having read the childhood bits of my book really allows them to relate more to the child to their own child because they can see it from the child's perspective so I talk about not being able to wear my, I had two identical coats one was yellow and one was blue and I would wear one but not the other and it used to frustrate my mother endlessly but they felt different and so other mothers who've got three-year-olds say who are autistic can really kind of suddenly see that it's not the child being difficult it's because it's an uncomfortable experience and no mum wants to put their kid through an uncomfortable experience so it kind of helps in that way I think. I, I would definitely echo that about Nora's book I mean um, reading it made me understood my son's experience in a better way than anything else really um, why he has to have water that's fresh every like 10 minutes. I always thought he was being a bit picky, but reading your book, Laura, I realised that actually it tastes old to him. But it's it stale. Really does. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> so I didn't appreciate that. My mum is reading it now and she really feels like she understands things in a new way. Um, with my book, I, I wanted to rebalance the conversation um, that we're all having about autism. So as I mentioned, when I needed um, good responsible information, all I found was um, panic and misinformation and um, tales of uh, real sort of distress really. And that, that and so that's, that sent me off worrying about a whole load of events that have not turned out to be the case. Um, so I wanted to bring a different sort of narrative, I guess, towards parents. One that's realistic, but also one that's positive. Excellent. And um, if an autistic person, say, like myself here in the room, uh, here today, wanted to be published and were avid writers in themselves and were given the opportunity, because it is very difficult in, indeed to enter the publishing industry in the first place, um, what do they need to know and what would they need to be prepared for? I think that 
I think writing is different for every writer, but I think we often experience the same kind of emotions, and it is very hard. I think you have to think very hard about whether you want to put your life out there, because it's not just writing the book, which is a lovely solitary experience, and you you can do it at home. It's having to do everything that goes around writing a book, so having to do all the publicity. And so I think that it's kind of thinking about how you feel about your story being out there, because once you let it go, it's like letting a child leave home. It's gone. And if a newspaper wants to write something about your book once it's out there and therefore something about you they can just do it so that's definitely worth thinking about but also if this person had got to the stage where um, they had a publisher they'll probably have an agent they'll probably have a team of people looking after them so I think it's the bit before that that um, where you have to really think about um, where you really have to think about what you want to do and how to craft your story because it's I think it's not I think every story needs a hook every story needs a kind of an arc and a journey so even if it is non-fiction, and you see that with Jesse's book, you know, it, 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 you, you kind of takes a reader on a journey, and by the end of it, you're just like, oh, I feel so good about this now. But, um, but, but, so yeah, so I think it's about kind of plotting, plotting it properly, working out what you're going to do, and kind of sticking to the plan. Uh, yeah, and if I can res- respond from like a journalism <laughs> point of view, that's Morgan again. Um, <laughs> um, I. I I agree with what Laura said. I mean, it strikes me that freelance journalism is probably one good career for autistic people to have um, because you can obviously do it from home. You don't have to be in office. Newspapers and magazines are increasingly relying on freelance journalists. Um, So I think that the probably way to lead up to it is to write, start off with um, smaller magazines and get used to pitching ideas and, you know, work out how, what is a successful pitch and get used to writing um, a copy to brief and changing what you write for different publications. And then once you gain your confidence and more experience, then you can move on to newspapers or whatever outlets that interest you. But I also think, um, you know, intense interests um, could be a real strength here because if you can make a story your own and you know, know everything about that subject, that's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, that I've realised sort of in my f- early 40s, <laughs> how valuable it is. So I think if someone can really, um, yeah, do that, I think it would, it would be, mm-hmm. be good. And just briefly, how intense was the editing process on your part? So it's because I know people might feel quite possessive in some way that for want of a better word, maybe that it, it's it's your work and you know sometimes difficult to try and change that so i'm i'm married to um, we have ridiculously similar lives i'm i'm married to um an editor who used to be a newspaper sub-editor and they are kind of the the harshest of editors um and he he edits literally everything i write including my shopping lists i mean literally everything so my and and my so my first edit was with him but we've been working together for 20 years so i it's a process that was absolutely fine for me i think had i been a first-time writer and it was edited by a stranger that would have made it much much harder so by the time my book got to a copy editor there was there was very little to be done um because he had fixed the structure and there was no grammar or spelling issues or anything so so there were kind of a few bits so so it was it was fine um and we are very very honest with each other so he will kind of email back a chapter and say this is rubbish you know (laughs) do it again (laughs) or he'll he'll
still email me and say, oh my God, I just, I'm in awe of this particular passage. And that makes me feel like he's being very honest. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm married to a senator <laughs> and he would love to edit my shopping list, but he doesn't get to. So, and also, because I've been a journalist for 20 years, I'm very used to being edited. Mm. And uh, but I think it is important to be open to that process because it can be painful, definitely. Um, but I think you have to, you know, go away and think about something and read it, you know, the next day and try and work out whether actually, you know, there are there is a better way of writing your piece because <laughs> often there is and it does take someone else to to show you that but yeah i i my copy um there wasn't that much editing in well there was some very good editing um by orion and, and by laura um <laughs> amazing suggestions but when it came down to it it was a fairly painless process and what do you think are some of the strengths and limitations in being a writer do you mean personally? Yes, yes, and maybe personally and maybe as a, as a career as well, if you're trying to pursue it as a career. I think we're in this really weird situation at the moment where the written word is more, is more with us than ever at any time before. There, there's such hunger for content, mm -hmm. but also there's, I think that standards, this is probably because I'm old, but I do think standards are slipping. So I think that it, um, I think it's really important that um, if somebody wants to build a career as a writer that they look for reputable outlets. I think that there are a lot of outlets out there nowadays who won't give you a proper edit and the fact is you can get yourself into a lot of trouble with that. You know, you can accidentally libel somebody, you can put something out there that's factually incorrect, you can perpetuate a myth that's dangerous, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I think that, I think if somebody wants to be a writer and is just starting out, they should choose their outlets very carefully. Yeah, I agree. I'm not totally convinced about the blog being the best sort of platform mm. for a career in journalism and um, well I don't know about writing because I think it can be brilliant if you can create a following and you can that's you know quite um, something a publisher is going to look for but in terms of writing I don't see always see brilliant writing on these blogs um, I mean obviously it does exist but um, I think it does need a proper self-edit often yeah. and you know I think having mistakes in grammar can really let someone down, really. So, um, but I, f I feel for me, um, my, I think over the years I've sort of, well, I've had quite a bit of therapy now and I think I've got quite self-aware and I think also I'm really interested in other people and what makes them tick and I feel that that is one of my strengths. Um, Seeing, and maybe be, being able to see things from other people's point of view, at least I hope so, or different sides. So I think that's helped with this book. Um, and my limitations were, I, I did find it difficult writing about my own family's experience. Um, and I don't know if I did that bit quite as well as I, 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 I don't know if those bits were as good as other bits where I was interviewing other people and I felt like I could, maybe that detachment made it easier. Maybe your second book, and <laughs> books onto it will always improve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, how do you feel that autistic people are generally portrayed in the current market of published writers, and if there's anything that you feel needs to change? I think the the more autistic voices we have, the more good autistic voices we have, and well written autistic books that we can have out there, the better. I think that's that's really important. 
Um, and I think we will get more voices. I don't know if you come across Lizzie Huxley-Jones, who is crowdfunding STEM at the moment, um, where, which is a book purely written by or written and illustrated and everything by autistic people. I think that's going to be really important. Um, and I, yeah, and I would just love to see more books written by autistic people, if possible, and more books like Jessie's written by parents who I think have an, I, I genuinely believe that parents have an important voice. Um, I know it's a bit of a bone of contention within the autistic community, um, and it, but I think that writing a kind of misery memoir of, oh God, I'm stuck with this terrible child who does terrible things to me, is, is an awful, awful thing to do to your child and to yourself. I mean. It, it, but but I think that books that are well written, well researched, by people who are writers, such as Jesse, I, I, I would love to see more of them too. Yeah, and that and that collaboration between um, neurotypical parents and autistic people. Yeah, um, I don't think we see that enough. I think yeah. we're quite unusual in yeah. that we we work really well together and and we both get a lot out of it whereas and we've never disagreed whereas i think that there's kind of that sort of scratchiness isn't there often yeah um so with um people how autistic people are portrayed i mean i feel frustrated by the way they're portrayed in newspapers certainly um i think a big memo needs to go out to all the newspapers about their language which we may be talking about later um i think there is a real danger of um it either being offensive or it being or the news stories being patronizing or not news stories or features um and i think yeah i think a different approach needs to be taken really so um yeah i, I sort of sometimes i read um very well-meaning features um written by someone who i don't think has much um involvement with autistic people and the way they describe you know, being a parent of an autistic child isn't my experience. Um, it's, you know, there's none of the happiness really, or, mm -hmm. you know, um, in there. So, but I do think change is really afoot now. I mean, I don't know if I'm being over optimistic, but um, I'm I, noticing some of the um, uh, news articles around are you autistic? I feel like the language has, there's been a noticeable change. I think so, yeah, I think it is changing. I think it's going to be slow. And you've seen it with other movements as well. And I think that, that, I don't know what it is, because really reputable, really good news outlets will say things like, it's a brain disease. And, like, and I just find that extraordinary. And, and there suffering are- Suffering. Yeah, suffering, yeah. Yeah, so and so suffers from autism. Yeah. It's just people not, not realizing. I yeah. mean, I think these journalists would be horrified to, you know, if you know people sat them down and, you know, explains them what actually they are saying. It's just not. Yeah, it, it is exactly that. And I don't think I was aware before I started writing about it. I wasn't aware. I mean, I did ring up various charities and ask for guidelines, which I think we could all benefit yeah, from doing. Um, but um, but I'm terrified of getting things wrong. Um, but yeah, but I think that the more the more we hear from um, autistic people, the more the tone will change. And, and now we come on to um, directly um, addressed questions. So on to you, Laura, um, and how do you think an autistic person might demonstrate creativity or natural flair for writing? When you say how, how might they demonstrate it, do you mean how might they show other people that they have it? Or? Yes, or how do you think they, 
their our particular skill set, let's say, or what makes us um, different in some way from neurotypical people in the community? How how can that be channeled into writing? That's interesting. I think, um, as Jesse said before, intense interests make for good writers because you really care about your subject, so you're not going to let it down. Um, and I think very often we're not slapdash. I think we're quite meticulous and we really want to get things right, which is important. Um, journalistically, it's certainly important. Um, and I think that many autistic people um, are really deep thinkers. And I think that to, to write, you need to be able to think deeply. And I think often we're not, we don't mind criticism in the way that I've seen some neurotypical people mind it. So um, so I think we're quite good to, once we realise the editing process is going to happen, I think we're quite good at that. But I think that all writers, regardless of their neurotype, benefit from um, the same sorts of things. And one of them is reading. I think that, I don't think you can be a good writer without being a, a voracious reader. And I know, certainly know lots of autistic women I've met talk about how they're almost obsessive about reading and have to have like books on the go. Um, and I think that you can't write in a vacuum. And personally, I think that writing groups are a really great thing to um, get involved with. Either local groups where you meet all sorts of different kinds of people or getting together with some other writers online and exchanging work and getting feedback and criticism. Um, and but the thing, the fact is, um, and it took me a long time to learn this. If you want to be a writer, you really have to sit down and write. Yeah, or indeed even take a degree in creative writing. Like yeah, that. did you but do that? I did. Where yes, did you do that? At the University of Winchester. Oh, how lovely! Yeah, yes. indeed, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I didn't actually manage to scrape through a GCSE, so I don't think I ever would have actually managed <laughs> a degree. But yeah, creative writing programs are amazing. Yeah, and that involves plenty of reading as well, about 50%, I would say. Yeah. So for anyone who does want to take a degree in that pathway, that, you know, bear in mind, there's plenty of reading involved. And now on to you, um, Jesse. So what approach did you take to make sure you gave a thoughtful and balanced approach uh, portrayal of autistic children as a parent rather than focusing on downsides, which have been mentioned in this podcast already? Um... Well, I spoke to autistic adults, so um, an autistic person read every single chapter of my book, and um, I consulted a lot. Um, Laura, poor Laura, was my main <laughs> consultant, really. But, um, I mean, that wasn't initially how the book was going, really. Um, I, I was starting to write um, a book about autistic people, and by interviewing non-autistic professionals and parents, but luckily I saw um, I saw that this wasn't going to work quite early on, and it did strike me that to do this would be like um, writing about feminism and only um, speaking to men for that piece. So I realised that, and yeah, it was it was talking to autistic adults that that was, and also um, as well as keeping it balanced, it meant that the insights and the advice I gained were much better for it. Um, so we now come on to our additional topic, uh, lastly, to uh, wrap up this afternoon. Um, how we think about language and terminology when it comes to autistic people or people with autism, however we might want to refer it as, and to avoid saying the wrong thing, which sometimes might uh, cause offence and upset type with autistic people themselves or with parents or... Um, anyone who has an interest in this area? 
I don't think it's possible to do anything without offending people anymore. I I spent a long time um, being terrified of offending people and being really worried about upsetting people. And I think a lot of it is about your motivation. And also language evolves and it changes. When I first started writing about autism, um, people used obsessions as, um, a, 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 as a term. And then that became special interests. And then I was told the other day that special interests is, is a bit dodgy now and can we call them intense interests and, and so and so it moves on so I ended up writing in a few special intense interests like <laughs> <laughs> special intense obsessive interests um, and and I think so I think it's quite hard that um, I, I think it's quite hard to not do the wrong thing but if you if you don't want to do the wrong thing and the fact is I, I refer to myself as an autistic person often if I'm talking to the parent of an autistic child I will say I will use terms interchangeably you know a child with autism or whatever because because if that's how the parent wants to refer to their child then I don't think it's my place to stop them from doing that mm. and then that child will grow up and then he or she will be able to they will be able to make up their mind about how they want to refer to themselves yeah I mean I um I think it's hard to write about autism if you're not autistic for obvious reasons. It's hard because um, you don't have that lived experience. But also, I think um, in order to to do it well, you have to do your research extra thoroughly and make sure you involve autistic people as much as possible. Um, so I, I still feel nervous about saying the wrong thing and getting using clumsy language because when I first sort of started trying to find the right words for it I would go on Twitter and write a sentence and then get an immediate feedback that what I'd written wasn't really on and you know that that was it was a learning process for sure that needed to happen but it was it felt quite harsh actually at times um, and and even now, actually, I feel quite sensitive to the language, having been through this process. And some of the language people use really makes me cringe. So I totally understand why people uh, do get upset about it, and they're right to be upset by it. Um, but I do feel sorry at the same time for um, non-autistic parents who are, may have received a, their child may have received a diagnosis quite recently, and they're just trying to find their way with it. And they're going on Twitter, and they are getting. Um, slightly clobbered really for some um, you know inappropriate language or, or just the wrong words really and I'm, I'm not sure that they meant to cause offence at all um, so I think I understand the language issue but I do think um, as someone who yeah I think <laughs> I think I just said it yeah, really it's, it's, it's a constant debate on Twitter maybe for yeah. <laughs> us autistic lot that are all online and yeah. <laughs> many quite vocal so, but uh, but also I think Twitter I think Twitter yeah. itself is interesting because if if somebody says something on Twitter and they but they they said the same thing in a setting where they were face to face with someone the reaction is going to be very different and that's not just about autism it's about anything yeah. um, I mean I really think that people could, could argue about literally anything on Twitter because it, it just something happens it's like road rage I can't describe it and um, I think what I think it's problematic with um, some people, and um, o often um, often people from um, America, often anti-vaxxers, you know, often people like that who won't back down. If you say I, I prefer to be called autistic, then they then they tell you why you're wrong. That I think then that kind of really ramps up. 
and equally I've seen autistic adults leap on a kind of you know sort of 22 year old mom who's just found out this news about her child and feels devastated because she doesn't understand what it what it means and she thinks that her her child is kind of going to live this terrible life as Jessie described so eloquently um, and then to jump on her and tell her that she's used a word incorrectly in a sentence just seems plain mean to me mm. whereas reassuring her that actually you know this isn't some terrible thing that's happened it's going to be fine it's it's way better i think what's worked for me is some autistic people have adults i've worked with i've noticed have just sort of told me right from the beginning i use the word autistic and what their preferred language is in quite a sort of firm way and i found that really helpful because um because then i know really um yeah yeah but i mean i i I totally get the debate about language and its importance. Um, my son was reading his copy of his first news, which is a paper for primary school children, and there was an article about autism. And when I saw the headline, I just I clenched up really and feeling worried that it was going to talk about autism sufferers and was going to give this sort of very negative message about autism. But instead, it just wrote a totally factual piece, and the fact that they were autistic was mentioned but it was just it was just done in the right way and it made me feel such massive relief and it made me realize that is totally why the language matters is because had they used um, the language of suffering and disorder my son would have internalized that message so um that's why i agree we need to change the language yes well and on that note uh, thank you uh, lord james and jesse hewitson for being here today thank, thank you, you. Thank Thank you for listening to our podcast on writing about autism, hosted by youth patron Jack Welch, with guests Laura James and Jesse Hewitson. And sorry about the background noise of whatever show Jesse's son Morgan was listening to. If you want to hear more from them, Jack, Laura and Jesse are all on Twitter. Jack is at Mr. JW18. Laura is at girl underscore by underscore the underscore Aga, spelled A-G-A, and Jessie is at Jessie Hewitson. And don't forget to buy Laura and Jessie's books, Odd Girl Out and Autism, How to Raise a Happy Autistic Child, which can be found in bookstores and online. If you suspect you might be autistic or have Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes, otherwise known as EDS, which Laura mentioned in the podcast, please speak to your GP who can refer you for diagnosis. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, or any of our previous podcasts, you can tweet us on at Ambitious Autism or message us on Facebook or Instagram on at Ambitious About Autism. Thanks for listening.